But do you know that preachers and pastors struggle with jealousy? So as I have been preparing to preach this message where Jonah gets up in a Jonah chapter 3, we stopped last week with his message. And his message is one verse, literally one sentence. He goes through the city of Nineveh and this is his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his entire sermon and the entire city of Nineveh responds to him. So I got to tell you, I've been struggling with a little jealousy, uh, specifically jealousy towards Jonah. And how do I get those type of results? How can I craft a one sentence sermon that impacts entire cities? Now, look, I know that that's all up to the power of God. It's not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit of God. But can you imagine as a preacher, as as a pastor, as somebody who looks to the Word of God and then delivers the Word of God, can you imagine thinking through, wait a second, how did Jonah get this response? Like, Jonah's a disobedient, bad-hearted prophet, and he gives one sentence, and all of these people start to repent. Well, here's what I discovered. Are you ready? Here's the secret to great responses. Short sermons produce the best responses. What do you think about that? That's the title of the message today. Short sermons get the best responses. But if I was to summarize the response of the Ninevites, it would be one word, repentance. That's what we see in the Ninevites that we're going to look at in just a couple of moments. But before we do that, in life, there are specific words and phrases that we use that we don't necessarily fully comprehend when we use them. I can tell you, as a young person, as a child, as a teenager, one of those words was adulthood. I couldn't wait to be an adult, I thought, because it meant nobody was going to tell me what to do anymore. And I could go to bed whenever I wanted and I would be free from all of the childhood drama and all of the teenage drama. And boy, was I wrong about that. But I used that phrase in such a way that I thought I knew what it meant, but I really didn't know what it meant. I remember telling my parents, I can't wait to be an adult, and I get out of this place, and I can do whatever I want. Well, in the kingdom of God, there are similar words and phrases that we use. For example, let me give you an example. Uh, For example, the word grace or even the phrase freedom in Christ. We often use that phrase, but some people use that phrase to mean if I'm free from sin or I'm free in Christ, I'm free to do whatever I want. I want you to understand that's not a proper usage of the phrase freedom in Christ. If you're free in Christ, you're not free to do whatever you want. You are free to do whatever God wants. If you're free from sin, you're not free to do whatever you want. You are free to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I say all of that because I want for you to understand that it is my strong opinion that repentance is a similar word. And I want for us this morning to study 
the concept and the word repentance as we see it illuminated in the life of the Ninevites. We're going to talk about specific aspects that we see through the Ninevites' process of repentance. We're going to talk about some essentials for repentance. So no matter if it's the Ninevites a couple of thousand years ago or us in 2020, what are the common elements, what are the essential elements of repentance? And then... We're going to talk about some of the differences. What are some things that might be different from the way that the Ninevites' repentance looked from what my repentance might look like? So let me ask you to open to Jonah chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be picking up in verse 5. And verse 5 really just simply gives a summary of verses 6 through 10. So we're going to be reading verses 5 through 10. And verse 5 is going to give us that summary. And then verses 6 through 10 are going to give us some of the details of what we're talking about. So uh, in verse 4 it says that Jonah began to go into the city. You see he's decided to obey God. He's got a second chance. Uh, He has the same calling that he had before. And so he goes to Nineveh the scripture says. And he went a day's journey in and he called out. He began to call out yet 40 days And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here's the scripture that we're focusing on this morning. And the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You may be thinking, what does that mean they put on sackcloth? We're going to talk about that in just a second. But understand the summary is that the people of Nineveh believed God. They declared a fast and they began to put on sackcloth, all of them. Now the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and it was published throughout the entire city. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now listen to this. When God saw what they did, when he saw how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do, and he did not do it. Lord, teach us something this morning. Would you just take the words that you have inspired and protected And deliver to us. And would you just do something in our minds and in our hearts? Would you just teach us about repentance this morning? Would you just take the Ninevites this morning and allow them to provide for us this important and incredible example of what it means to respond and to respond fully to you, O God? Help us as we seek to understand your word. We pray 
In the name of Jesus, amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to do a couple of things this morning. If you have your pen and you're ready to make notes this morning, we're going to be talking about specific aspects of repentance. We're going to be talking about the essentials of repentance. And then once we've done that, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the differences. What are the differences between repentance for the Ninevites and, and repentance for those of us who are here left today and seeking to respond to who God is and what God has for our life? But this morning, we're going to first talk about specific aspects of repentance in the Ninevites. And there are three. If you're making notes this morning, morning, there are three specific aspects to repentance that we see in the life of the Ninevites. And the first is that repentance is external. It's something that you do. It's something that the Ninevites actually did. And we see that in a couple of different ways in verses 5 and 6 and I think also in 9. But we see first of all an external repentance through fasting. We also see external repentance through putting on sackcloth. They, they, they took up sackcloth as an expression of grief over their sin. And the scripture also says that the king sat down in ashes. So in the Old Testament, what I want you to understand, in the Old Testament, uh, either putting on or sitting in ashes, wearing sackcloth instead of regular clothing... And even fasting, all of those actions were equated with and connected to repentance and expressing this deep sorrow for the sin that a person has committed. So what I want you to understand this morning is it wasn't just a person here, a person here. No, this was citywide. Citywide people were expressing their grief over their sin. This was something that was external. Their repentance was noticeable. It wasn't something that they did in secret, in other words. It was external and noticeable, and it was something that they took action on. It's something that they did. They expressed repentance. Now, another aspect of their repentance is vertical And I want for you, as you write that down, I want for you to notice in the scripture, specifically verse 8, where the king of Nineveh says, let people call out mightily to God. You know what he's saying? Let people get vertical. Let people lift up their eyes to God. Let people seek God. Let people cry out to God. Let people urgently seek God. So the Ninevites' repentance was external, but it was also vertical. It was also something that people and individuals were charged with and tasked with to urgently seek God. Get vertical and seek God. So there's an external aspect to repentance, but there's also a vertical aspect to repentance. The third aspect that we'll look at this morning is the horizontal aspect. If you're making notes, the horizontal aspect. And verse 8 goes on to say, as the king says, let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. That's the external nature. Let them call out mightily to God. That's the vertical nature. And let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Their repentance... 
brought healing and healthy relationships. You see, a lot of times when we think about repentance, we think about this private moment that we have with God, this stepping away from everyone else and all of the circumstances in our life, and I'm going to get over here in my prayer closet, and I'm just going to spend some time with God apologizing for the bad things that I've done and making commitments that I may or may not keep. But it's just a specific prayer time where I say, God, I know I've done some wrong things, and I'm really sorry, and just thank you for your forgiveness and just thanks for not holding this against me and then we say in Jesus name amen and we go out of our prayer closet and nobody can tell that we've repented here's what I want you to understand about repentance it's not just vertical but there's a horizontal implication to repentance the king said turn from your evil ways and stop the violence that is in your hands inevitably That would have had an impact on the world around them. Here's the point that I'm making. When human beings repent, it certainly affects their relationship with God, the the, the vertical aspect, but it also changes the dynamic of their relationship with other people. And so this morning, what we're discovering is that the Ninevites, when they heard the message of the prophet, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be crushed. And they believed God and they began to repent. There was an external aspect. There was a vertical aspect. And there was a horizontal aspect. And so I guess to summarize, if I were to summarize these three aspects, I wrote this in my notes. I want to share it with you right out of my notes this morning. The Ninevites turned to God from sin And it was obvious and it was impactful to those around them. Now certainly Jonah saw what they were doing. Certainly Jonah could comprehend what was happening around them. We'll talk about that next week. But not just Jonah. I want you to understand that God also saw how obvious it was that they were responding in such a positive way to the message from the prophet. So much so... The verse 10 says something powerful. It says that God saw what they did. You see, the biblical God is a God that sees our response. And I know sometimes we may lose that perspective. And I know sometimes we may struggle with that perspective. And there may be even times in your own personal life where you've even wondered if you agree with that perspective. But the word of God says that God looked and saw the way that the Ninevites responded to the prophet's message. And he changed. God did not bring the destruction to the Ninevites that before he said he was bringing. In other words, the the destruction that Jonah was walking through the city crying out about didn't come to pass because the Ninevites responded so powerfully to the message. 
the biblical God, the one true living God, is a God who sees. And not only does God see the Ninevites' circumstances and response to ministry, but he sees yours. I think it's important for you to know this morning that just as God saw the Ninevites' response, God sees your response. The question is, how will you respond to the Lord today? How will you respond to the Lord today? Because he sees the Ninevites' response He sees my response. He sees your response, my friend. How will you respond to the Lord today? So we have three things that we're doing this morning. We're talking about aspects of repentance. We're talking about the essentials of repentance. And then we'll wrap it all up by talking about the differences of repentance that might be a difference between the way the Ninevites repent and the way that Pastor Zach repents or the way that you repent or the way that anybody might repent. But the second thing I want for us to look at this morning is specifically essentials that must be present in order for true repentance to actually occur. Now, then again, the Ninevites illuminate this for us they teach this they model this they give us the example and the first essential for true biblical repentance is we have to believe God now verse 5 begins by saying that so look with me again in verse 5 if you would the word of God says after they hear Jonah preach this one sentence he walks through the city just declaring this one thought, the Bible says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Listen, this morning, if you were to come to a place in your life where you were to repent, now for some of you, maybe that's the the first time you've ever repented in your life and you're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe that's what God is leading you to. You have to believe the message of God in order for that to happen. Or you would find no reason to repent and put your faith and trust in God. But even if you've already accepted Christ and you're a follower, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, and you're here this morning and you would think to yourself, I need to practice repentance this morning from something, something in my life, something that's going on that I need to turn from and embrace the way of God again. You still have to believe God. You see, step one to repentance is believing God. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. The second essential is that you have to want peace with God. You see, the scripture says, and look with me if you would, Over into verse 9, the scripture says that the king of Nineveh said, who knows, maybe God will turn, maybe God will relent, maybe God will allow us to have peace with him instead of bringing this destruction that he has communicated through his, his prophet, Jonah. 
Maybe we can have peace with God if we will repent. You see, the first step is to believe God. The second step is to hunger, to want, to be thirsty for peace with God. And you would think, wouldn't you, that it's like a no-brainer. It's like obvious that everybody that has ever been created, when they know that there's a God in heaven, it seems obvious that they would want peace with God. But it's not true. Think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew that God existed, and yet he continued to challenge his power and question his authority. And he continued to set himself up as an opponent to God. Pharaoh didn't want peace with God. Pharaoh wanted to challenge God. That was was a key part of the life of Pharaoh is to demonstrate how powerful he was. You've got people in the New Testament that set themselves up against Jesus. There's a scripture in Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And it talks about the fact that people who have been made by Christ and through Christ and for Christ, these human beings, because of the sin in their life, they have set themselves up And alienated themselves from Christ and presented themselves as enemies to Jesus Christ. So you would think to yourself, surely everybody wants peace with God. But the biblical record demonstrates in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that that simply isn't true. Now the question for you this morning isn't whether or not the Pharaoh wanted peace with God or whether King Herod wanted peace with God. The question this morning is, do you want peace with God? Do you believe God? Do you want peace with God? Because those are two essentials to true biblical Repentance. Now, the third essential is that somebody who is repenting must take action. What I mean to say by that is that repentance isn't just a feeling. It isn't just an emotion. It's something that we do. Remember, we talked about one aspect of the Ninevites' repentance is that it was external. They fasted. They put on sackcloth. The king sat in ashes. The process of repentance was action-based. They didn't just feel bad about their sin and then all of a sudden, poof, everything got better. No, it doesn't say that, that when God saw how they felt inside, the scripture says that when God saw what they did, he extended mercy to them. So what is the essential of repentance It is taking action. This morning I call you to take action. Let me ask you this question. What is your next step in spiritual growth? What is your next step in your spiritual journey? What is the next thing that the Spirit of God is working in your life on? You know, oftentimes... We shy away from the phrase repentance or we shy away from the word repentance because we think it's a bad word in the kingdom of God. Can I just say to you, 
the, the word and the concept of repentance is one of the most glorious words in the English language because repentance is the avenue. It's the road. It is the freeway into peace with God. It's a good word. And if we're going to repent, remember, there's some essentials. We have to believe God. We have to want peace with God. And we have to take action. The good news is that this morning, if you, if you join in the worship service this morning as somebody who couldn't really say that they have a relationship with the God of heaven, you can today through that same process. Believe God, want peace with God, and take action. That can lead not only the Ninevites to peace with God, but that can lead you to peace with God. And so we get to the differences. We've talked about the aspects of repentance in the life of the Ninevites. We have talked about the key essentials, not just for the Ninevites, but for myself and for you and for everyone in your family and everybody on your street and everybody on your block. What are the essentials of repentance? We believe God, we want peace with God, and we take action specifically for you and I. We come and surrender and yield our life to the Lordship of Jesus. That's our action. But now the question is, what are the differences? Surely as you read through or as you listen to me read through this text, some things probably landed on your ear and you probably thought to yourself, that seems strange. Well, that's because our situation in life and our culture is radically different than that of the Ninevites. And so what I want for us to do before we have prayer time together is talk about four differences in repentance. Now, the first is reason. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, write down the word reason. So the king of Nineveh articulates very well the reason that the Ninevites needed to repent. He says, turn away from your evil and the violence that is in your hand. Nineveh was known for their violence. They were known as a fighting city. They were known for their violence. And they were so known that the king understood that is exactly and precisely what they needed to repent from. And what they needed to repent of. And what they needed to turn from in order to turn to God. And so he says, you need to turn from your evil and the violence that is in your hand. But you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor Zach, I'm not violent. I mean, I wouldn't hurt a fly. I don't even like to kill bugs and throw them outside of the house. I try to let them go out while they're alive and and help them just get outside of the door. You may be thinking, I'm not violent at all. Yeah, but if violence isn't the reason that you need to repent... What is? What, what do you have going on in your life? Is there a, a, a stronghold of sin somewhere in your life? Is there something that I don't know about? And, and, and maybe the elders of the church and the staff and your Bible study teachers and the people that are close to you and your co-workers or your students that you hang out with in regular everyday life. Maybe there's something going on in your life that nobody knows about but you and God know. So if it's not violence, what is it? 
You see, it may very well be that you don't need to repent from violence. The difference might be the reason. You may not need to repent of violence, but you still might need to repent of something. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's your ego. I I don't know what it is. You know, there could be a million things that the question is this morning. What is the reason that you need to take steps in repentance? One of the differences is reason. A second uh, difference in repentance is expression. We've talked about already the fact that they declared a fast and they put on sackcloth. And so some of us may be thinking, I don't know where to buy sackcloth. I don't know what store sells shirts made of sackcloth or ball caps made of sackcloth or shoes. I don't know how to get these clothes made of sackcloth. And maybe for you, even if you did, it wouldn't necessarily be an expression of sorrow or guilt. But my question for you is this. If we express our guilt over our sin differently, that's perfectly fine. But how do you express your grief over the sin, the rebellion, the walking away of the lordship of Christ in your life? So we're not saying that we don't have to express grief over our sin. What we're saying this morning is maybe maybe you don't sit in a pile of ashes and and put on sackcloth, but what do you do in order to express to God that you grieve over your sin? Maybe our reason is different. Maybe the way that we express it is different, but we still need to process and journey through repentance. Not just to come into the kingdom of God, but as citizens in the kingdom of God. I need to practice a lifestyle of repentance. So that at any moment that the Lord Jesus reveals to me any rebellion in my life. Any rebellion. I need to practice repentance. Now, this third difference might be one of the most things, one of the most important things that you think about this morning. The third difference is confidence. If you're making notes, would you write that down? Confidence. Verse 9 says something incredibly shocking for me. Uh, The king of Nineveh says, listen, we're going to have this fast and we're going to wear sackcloth and we're declaring that no human or beast is going to eat. And let's cry out mightily to God. And verse 9, the king of Nineveh says something chilling. He says, and who knows, maybe God will relent and he will have mercy on us. In other words, the king of Nineveh didn't understand that repentance drives you to the mercy seat of God. He just said, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just repent. Let's just turn to God. Let's turn away from our violence. Let's turn away from our wickedness and our evil. And maybe, who knows, maybe God will have mercy. I want to say something to you as strongly as I can possibly say it. You don't have to worry and wonder about whether or not you have peace with God if you have repented and placed your trust in life in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to be like the king who says, and who knows, maybe God will accept me. And who knows, maybe God will have mercy on me. You don't have to be that way. I want you to understand. In fact, what I, I brought seven verses to share with you before we look at that fourth difference. I brought seven verses to share with you so that you will know that if you seek and yield your life to the lordship of Jesus, you will know that he has mercy on you. Here they are. John chapter 5 verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. He doesn't say you might have eternal life. He says that person will have eternal life. John chapter 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, confidence. it's, it's, It's not questionable. It's absolute. It's concrete. Whoever believes in the Son of God has life. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 28, I give them life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Again, we're not playing the king of Nineveh card where we say, well, who knows? Maybe God will keep us or maybe he won't. I don't know. No, the scripture record is clear. If you've repented and come into the kingdom of God, you are secure. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Here's what the Word of God says. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul is confident He's not like the king of Nineveh saying, call on the name of the Lord. Who knows? He may save you. He may not. No, that is not what the scriptural record teaches. He will. Last one. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the difference is confidence. The king of Nineveh went before his city and he said, Let's fast. Let's put on sackcloth. Let's sit in ashes. Let's demonstrate our sorrow and our grief over our sin. Let's cry mightily to God. Let's turn from this wickedness. Let's put away this violence. And who knows, maybe we will taste mercy. No. If you will turn to Jesus, you can have confidence that you will face mercy. 
and you will receive mercy. The fourth difference is this. Forced. The king, and you may have noticed this, the king forced the Ninevites to repent. He issued a decree. He issued a decree that says, from the very mouth of the king of Nineveh, you will fast and you will wear sackcloth and you will cry out to God and you will turn from your wickedness. Here's the reality. Nobody this morning is going to force you to repent. But why not? If you can have peace with God, why not repent? So this is a beautiful truth. It's both beautiful and eerie at the same time. There is no one on this planet that will force you to repent and to run back to God. And yet, we need that desperately. This morning, I want to ask you, is there anything in your life that you need to turn from and run back to God? Now, I'm not just talking about people who need to give their life to Jesus this morning. I'm not just talking to people this morning that need to surrender their life to Jesus and come into the kingdom of God and become a brother or become a sister in Christ. I'm talking to us believers. We need to believe God on some things. We need to hunger for peace with God in some specific areas of our life. And we need to take action. I think a glorious picture from our town and our county to see is a church that actively practices repentance. That isn't afraid to go into the presence of God and say, God, I've sinned and I repent and I turn from it and I run back to you. What a powerful example for a watching world than for a church to practice repentance. The only way the church can practice repentance is if the brothers and sisters that make up the church practice repentance on a daily basis. So we have looked at the aspects of the Ninevites' repentance We have talked about the absolute essentials for repentance to happen. And then we've talked about the differences between what repentance might look like for the Ninevites and what repentance might look like for us. And so we're going to stop this morning and we're going to pray. So right where you're seated, maybe at your coffee table, maybe in your living room, Maybe you're around your dining room table. I want to ask you to bow right where you're at right now. And let's just pray together. Would you bow? Would you close your eyes with me? Would you take a moment? Would you acknowledge with me as we begin praying that we can come up with so many good reasons to not turn from our sin and run to God, right? In our mind, there's so many good reasons. But when we really lay them on the table, there's not a one that's sufficient. And so maybe this morning as you've bowed your head, 
and you've closed your eyes for prayer, maybe maybe your heart is just clenching to itself this morning, just closing up saying, I won't let go. I won't let go. Remember, you can't be forced. I can't force you. Our government can't force you. But if you know that God is merciful and you know that he's gracious and you know that he's loving, not from a motive of fear, but a motive of love, would you run to him this morning? Did this message bring into your mind something that you're struggling with? Right where you're at this morning, would you do work with God? Would you do business with God this morning? And just spend some time in His presence, working through what you've heard from the Ninevites and working through where you're at with God. And if you can look into your life And you can say, I have truly laid it all down before the Lord at this moment in my life. Not that I won't in the future, not that I haven't in the past, but at this very moment, I truly cannot find anything that I need to repent from or of. Then intercede. Use your prayer time to pray for your family, to pray for your brothers and sisters at the fellowship. To pray for the people who live on your street, on your block, at your work, at your school. I want to give you a second just to pray. We'll close our time together. Lord, we thank you that such deep and powerful responses can come from short, powerful messages. We thank you for the example of the Ninevites. We understand that there might be some differences in our expression of repentance, but we thank you for the reminder that we must be people who practice repentance. We're grateful for the reminder of the Ninevites this morning as we go. Wherever it is that we may be going today or tomorrow, we go knowing that you are to be believed and that we can have peace with you and that we can live in the kingdom of God in a way that isn't driven by feelings, but driven by actions. And so we thank you, Lord, for meeting us here, for being with us as we cry out to you and as we make our song, our anthem, as we pray, and as we study the Word of God, we confess you have 
been good to us. And we thank you for that. And we pray all of this in the magnificent, righteous, and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to close by saying a word of thank you for being with us in worship today. And uh, we pray that the worship music gripped your heart and our prayer times that we went through this morning was really meaningful and that you were able to connect with God in a very special and unique way, but also that the word of God would have transformed you by the power of the spirit. Uh, We know that we are having church in unique ways these days, and you may have some specific ministry needs. You may need prayer. uh, You may need counsel guidance you may be at the place where you say i want to give my life to jesus how do i do all of those things well because of the unique times that we live in it's a little bit more difficult but we want to make ourselves available to you you can reach out to us online you can go on our website and find ways for you to send emails there's phone numbers for you to call Uh, if you will just click somewhere and get us some type of word that you would like to interact with us we would love to call you on the phone or text with you or email with you we just want to be available to you to minister to you in a very real and needed and practical ways before we give the blessing to close i will just remind you that although we may not be gathering in person right now uh, we still need to pass the virtual offering plate so to speak and so we do uh, call on you to go to the website at the top right there's a place that you can click the button is called give and uh, we still do need our partners our faithful partners to continue to give tithes and offerings Uh, our needs are as high as they've ever been and so we do know that some of you have been affected Uh, by the coronavirus and social distancing and the stay-at-home order. And so we do realize that many of your uh, incomes have been affected, and and we don't want to tread over that. We are mindful of that. But if it hasn't, and if you're able, we really do need for you to continue to sustain your tithes and offerings. If you need help financially, would you reach out to us? If you've lost your income, would you let us know? We want to pray with you. We want to see if there's a way that we can help you. We do want to be mindful of you. You are so loved. I want to close by uh, reading this blessing that I love to read over you every single week. And so right where you are, if uh, if you are willing, would you place your hands out to receive the closing blessing and then we will be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, we have peace because we have traveled the pathway of repentance. Thank you for your peace that you've placed in our heart that no earthly circumstance can steal. We go in peace because you have been good to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.